Hey folks, not so giant women is back with Ivy and Daria. It's a great day. It's a great time. It's a great episode title. <laughs> We're about to watch Rose's Room. <laughs> so this is for many reasons an intriguing title. Any thoughts before we start? <laughs> well, Rose's Room, I'm I'm going to take a stab that it's Rose Quartz's room beyond the door is unlocked or accessed. <laughs> Possibly with Stephen's inherited gem, and we might learn a thing or two about his mom in that room. Or, I don't know. Maybe maybe this is a rite of passage. Maybe Rose's room becomes Stephen's room if he's got the extant gem now. True. <laughs> I guess so. We'll hope for a little more insight. <laughs> we'll do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, here we go, everyone. We are the crystal gems. We'll hey. save the day. <laughs> Almost a little yeah, horror Yeah, it was episode. a bit nightmarish in the middle there. Yeah. I, I, I was not expecting that when I first saw it. <laughs> right, let's see if I can take this from, from the top, Stephen. Stephen has just eaten his fourth consecutive can of cream corn, which is really horror enough. Yeah, <laughs> we should have known. <laughs> and he, has, he has done this because each of the cans has a $5 coupon to go mini-golfing, having four cans here and all the gems can go. However, they have to go on a mission. Stephen sulks a bit about this and instead plays Golf Quest on his game machine. And Golf Quest is a fun little game that looks like a cross between Crazy Golf and Pokemon. <laughs> When the gems return, it is only to interrupt Stephen awaiting the secret ending of his game. This also causes him to throw another snit, not least that Amethyst sticks her face in front of his and sets off the artifact called the Wailing Stone, which makes a big noise and breaks everything around them in the house. Stephen wishes he had a place where he could, which was just his and he wouldn't get interrupted. His gem glows and the one of the spots on the star on the internal door glows and it opens. They realize this must be Rose's room. He, mm -hmm. Stephen eagerly goes in there and in his sulk tells the gems that they can't come with him. The door closes behind him and he finds himself in an environment full of pink and white clouds. He soon realizes that as he wishes for things, they appear as form of a bed and then in the form of quadruple bunk beds and in the form of a tiny floating whale which is just too adorable for words yeah he gets the secret ending for his game then he gets hungry but when the room provides a donut it disappears as soon as he tries to eat it figuring he has to go out for donuts another door appears and he goes out into the beach house to find it empty meaning his telling off of the gems falls flat as they're not even there as he goes out into the town, as it's nighttime, first he stops off at Big Donut, where Lars and Sadie are speaking strange, in unison, and almost automaton-like, and don't even walk to and from the counter. They merely skate as if they are on tracks. This confuses Stephen as he tries to follow them out the back door and just ends up behind the shop, with them nowhere to be found. He finds the rest of the shop looking similarly abandoned and eerie, with 
Apparently the lights on, but nobody's home. Really not many of the lights are indeed on, must be said. As he passes the fry shop, he sees Peter's fry boat try to hand him some fry bits, he lays it on the counter and then lays another another tray of fly, fry bits in exactly the same spot, which simply replaces <laughs> the first one. And over and over, and this freaks Stephen out and he scoots away until he finds Connie at the edge of the town where the water is making no sense. She's just standing there, has the glow ring from a few episodes earlier, from her first appearance. And she just, again, automaton-like, just says things like, he's incredible, over and over again. Other townspeople appear, looking similarly strange, their faces strange, smiling, and not quite complete, even Lion. Stephen finds the town warping around him. The geography starts making sense, but he ends up at the front of the car of it's a wash at the car wash his dad comes out first seemingly acting normal and suggests they share the donuts he got earlier and talk about things they do and as greg chows down on the donuts Stephen tells him his problems with the gems and what led him here greg says well some people do need some alone time now and then which does make sense to Stephen. and then a second later Greg says, well, at least you told the truth and chows down again. And Stephen is like, that's true, but not quite connected. Every time he gives a piece of advice, Greg does a little air guitar. He then starts giving massively disconnected pieces of advice, like no one was hurt or arrested. And <laughs> when Stephen tries to eat the donut, it disappears before he can eat it, just as he did earlier. And he realizes he's still in the room. The town disappears beneath him to at first reveal a kind of nightscape and eventually falls back into the cloud. Well, he eventually just starts falling because there is nothing. The tiny floating whale appears and asks him what he does want. He says he wants to back off the gems, at which point he falls back out through the door. The gems still in exactly the same position as when he last left them. So presumably either no time has passed or they've just been leaning against the door for the past, however long it, ha- it took to have this adventure. <laughs> and Stephen apologizes for, no, before he apologized for being mad, he tests that they're real by biting Garnet's arm, to which she simply says, how? <laughs> Quite fairly. <laughs> he, this convinces him that she's real. Amethyst decides this is certainly more than enough impetus to bite Pearl's arm, which hurts her because it is biting her arm. Now Stephen apologizes <laughs> and Garnet says they have time to hang out and they are in fact at the mini golf course. Garnet looking gorgeous in Greg's old golfing pants and Stephen concludes that the lesson he's learned is that he always gets what he wants. <laughs> so yeah well we saw Rose we saw Very Rose's nice. room, but didn't really learn a whole lot more about Rose in the process. We even nope. already knew that she likes pink. Nope, just that that was her room. Mm-hmm. And I think we already knew that. I, I'd be prepared so. to take a guess, though, that the voice of the tiny whale is probably the voice of Rose, or meant to be so. I don't know if we ever actually see her properly in flashback or whatever and hear her speak, but I would guess that is the intent at least, because the Whale also spoke of a, a different voice to anyone we usually hear. It suddenly did not sound like a, yes, a little whale. Little whale noises were just adorable. <laughs> so, yeah, 
If he can, yeah. if he can just have a little yeah. whale floating around the room as he's like major domo or something, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I remember some people discussing whether that was what you said or whether it was just like what whether the room itself had oh, yeah, a voice like or what. So, mm-hmm, definitely some theories floating around because that was, I mean, it kind of stuck, stood out like, oh, this is a different voice coming out of this whale. <laughs> yeah. I must say, I did work out pretty early on that Stephen was still in the room, probably, probably familiarity with the genre because yeah. of the yeah. many, oh, we're still in the simulation or the holodeck or whatever episodes of other shows I've seen. Yeah. I, I was, I was going to ask you, you know, kind of what your conception of that was. I think a lot of people just as soon as you see the door and they come he comes out and the room is dark. It's like either he's still in there or something terrible has happened. Like time has gone fast forward or something like that, but you figure it out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen was certainly the start of the episode. One of his more childish moods this week, I think. I suppose you're right. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since he sort of um, threw a tantrum about missions rather than just having a short soak, but I guess he'd gone to all the effort of eating all the cream corn. Yeah. And just wanted to hang out with them. And they're like, nope, we're going to leave you behind. And then we're going to come back and want you to pay attention to us. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Because, you know, you don't, Stephen's pretty patient. He's a pretty patient and loving kid. And you don't see him snap like that very often. Although I think the last time we saw him kind of yell at somebody also involved him yelling at Lars and Lars and the cool kids. And he, that was about his mom too. (laughs) That and who knows what that much creamed corn does to a person. <laughs> this is true. I mean, his his fake dad in the fake room was saying either that or you stayed up all night watching and playing a video game. So I was like, well, it could be it could be hallucinations <laughs> from that or just the corn. <laughs> uh, do I you like cream corn? I don't know if I've had cream corn. It never <laughs> looks appetizing on television. Well, I live in Florida and Florida sometimes pretends that it's the the American South. It's and the South is big on things like yeah. cream corn. And I don't know, it's kind of a nice, heavy Southern dish, I guess. So in some places here, yeah. people like cream but corn. None, <laughs> nonetheless, I imagine it starts to wane after four cans in a row. It's probably not recommended to eat four cans at, at once when you're yeah. a tiny boy. Not at least because if he needed <laughs> the cans empty, he could have just tipped them out into something else and eaten the corn later. Yeah, I was, I was thinking the same thing. You didn't have to go that hard, Stephen. You, you could have just taken the coupon and eaten the cream corn when, when you had a chance, you know? Yep. So I, I guess we're, we're still seeing that sometimes they leave, him, they leave him behind on those missions and he's agitated about it. So that was kind of his way of coping, I guess, with the, with the cute yeah. little video game. <laughs> if it went... If it, I really cracked up when Stephen wanted Garnet to wear his pants. the development of revealing Rose's room, I've always wondered if this was originally earlier in the piece, what with Stephen being more childish, oh. leaving Stephen behind as a matter of course. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know that that is true. I haven't heard anything about a different intended order, but that could be, that could be a thing. Because, you know, I mean, they probably sit around in these rooms and decide we want to plot about this we want to plot about this where are we going to put this so and we see enough of Stephen though to know that he doesn't necessarily mature in a linear fashion so 
it doesn't completely break the story mm -hmm. or anything. And it's also easy to believe that there are missions that even at this point are too dangerous or for some other reason, Stephen can't come along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's funny is Garnet says a dangerous artifact has appeared in the Northern Hemisphere. We have to go retrieve it. But then they come back with the whaling stone. So, I mean, is it, is it dangerous? Is, what is, is it? Is the artifact in question or is it just something that was around? In yeah. fact, the Bring Stephen yeah. Something Back thing, that's also an echo of how they used to do things early on as well. That's true. They probably didn't give it to him, but Pearl was, of course, trying to explain like what it is. And this is a... What did she say? Something like it's 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 a relay point bet between two si fixed points, but they only have one. So yeah, set for sending <laughs> messages as as high pitched sounds, or you can just smack the top and it starts screaming. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it's a gem walkie talkie. <laughs> so that's what that well, sounds the gem, like. The gems oh. are kind of part magic, part science fiction. So that yep. that. They've got their, their relay device is some kind of magic vase is, you know, it fits. Mm -hmm. Thought it was cute when they came back and they wanted to show the whaling stone to Stephen. And so like, you want to see the, the whaling stone we found? It's the whaling stone we found. And Garnet goes, the whaling stone <laughs> I found. Like, <laughs> chill, Garnet. We all know you're great. <laughs> it's just funny how she sometimes says stuff like that. Like, no, I did it. No, I'm right. No, it was my idea. It's <laughs> like the... They also She's all said whaling, <laughs> whaling stone mo multiple times as though we're supposed to be impressed by its sheer mention, which of course Stephen is not mm -hmm. A, because he doesn't know what it yeah. is, and B, because they're getting in the way of his secret ending and messing up his TV again. Yeah, I mean, those cutscenes, I don't think they're possible. No. <laughs> you have to watch them or you have to play the final dungeon all over again. <laughs> That golf, that golf quest was no, weird. Um, That'd be a fun game. <laughs> you play video games? You don't really, right? I do, I do play video games, but not extensively. I sort of... Right. Yeah, I've never played, like, Pokemon or anything, but everything I've read says that kind of... It, there's a lot of Pokemon references. In yeah, it. Well, I, I haven't played the no. Pokemon game it's based on, but lots of friends have, so I've seen enough of it to, to recognize yeah. the layout and the animation they're going with and the... That they're golfifying all the familiar troops. Right, and all the golf puns. And some people said, like, the team kind of rem reminds them of certain people in the Pokemon, maybe the cartoon or something. I don't know. So it did look really cute. Yeah. And I guess you can change your team around and fight with different ones or golf probably with different ones. find <laughs> better golf clubs and, and putters and things. And we saw Greg's golf clubs again yep. because he likes to think of himself as the sort of person who would golf. Yep, you are correct. They pulled it out of the storage I don't shed. think you take your own clubs from mini golf, but no. chances are Stephen and or Greg does not know that. I was going to ask about that. Like, I, I like mini golfing. I don't know oh, if yeah. you like yeah. to go, but I like to go. And they don't ask you to bring your – you're supposed yeah. to use theirs. Well, so. At least a couple of the ones I've been to, usually it's called putt putt here. But a couple of the ones I've been, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. a couple of the ones I've been to, they actually say don't bring your own clubs. They say you have to use the ones we give you. Yeah, because I guess like real serious golf clubs, they could they could kind of mess with those greens. The greener the greens are not the same as actual golf greens. Well, they so. probably don't want to ruin the spirit of the game by someone bringing some awesome wood headed club and everyone's just got the stock standard putter from the hind counter. Yeah, pretty much. 
Oh, Stephen should have got his own cute little golf pants. Yeah, so Garnet <laughs> was adorable, having somehow got herself into Greg's golfing pants. I have drawn fan art of that. <laughs> yeah. How can you not? I'm a big Garnet fan, and when she does something like that, you know, she's just like, he wants me to put the pants on my body. I guess I'll put the pants on my body. <laughs> Don't know what they're for. Here we go. I'm wearing pants. And, you know, probably makes things appetizing for a few cosplayers that they do up there. Yeah. I have never they seen They do up their top half of all the detail with the maroon skin and the big hair and the mirror shades and then go and get a pair of granddad's old golfing trousers. Yeah. <sighs> mm. So let's see. Uh, I was thinking about how when they left him there and, you know, in their defense – they were probably going somewhere more more dangerous but like did anybody ever tell him tell them it's also unsafe to leave a kid like by themselves <laughs> so i don't know i wonder if greg knows that they do yeah, that i do sometimes wonder about how they're doing as at the actual regular upbringing part of guardianship i mean we've kind right. of we've all but established Stephen doesn't go to school which is you know, if, if they have mm-hmm. social services and Beach City has sort of got to raise a few flags. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they, they they leave him alone. I mean, in my I don't think I've ever said it, but in my head, Stephen's around 10. And it, even, when I, even when I was 10, my parents might leave me alone for an, af- an afternoon maybe, but not, you know, right. several times overnight. Yeah, that's the way it was for me too. And I was the eldest child, so there was always even smaller kids that if I was ever alone with them, I would be, I would be in charge. So that w- that's never safe to have like a 10 year old babysitting a five year old and you don't know what's going to yeah. happen. Never mind a 10 year old so, if Steven's issues of impulse control. Yeah. I mean, your belly button could light up and another dimension could open or you just might eat four yeah. pans of cream corn <laughs> or make it together breakfast and it'll turn into a monster. <laughs> Or there's there's yeah. another question social services are going to be asked. What are you feeding the boy? Oh, waffles and chocolate sauce and cream corn. Mm. He more or less makes him makes him himself. I mean, he can take care of himself. You know, so like when he's about to go into the room, they're acting like they know it's dangerous. And that made me really curious too, because like, what do they think is going to happen? What do they, are they, do they know what, what it's going to do or what, could threaten him. It seemed pretty non-threatening at first. So, hmm. well, if the room generally to reacts to wishes well. and feelings and things, they've probably been at their rooms for years and had them worked out how to shape them around themselves and keep control. Stephen has not only owned, just taken custody of this room, but we'll see the aforementioned impulse control, and he's already in a mood. So they're probably like we. We don't want this yeah. hot-headed, sulky young boy going into a room that will react to his every whim when he barely can focus on one whim for more than 10 seconds at a time. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah. I think maybe, it's maybe. danger under raw potential there. And they probably hoped he would just mm-hmm. sit on the bed and play video games. <laughs> That's probably one of the better outcomes. Maybe. Yeah. And as maybe maybe they figured uh, if they could just have a second to explain to him what's going to happen so that he doesn't get scared or make anything dangerous, then they could explain the limitations. So they're just like, wait. But he went in, 
and disappeared them. And like you were saying, it, it, either all of that happened very quickly or they just stood there. <laughs> so it's kind of unclear because they seem to be in the exact same positions when he comes flying back out. I mean, out. we haven't seen if the room has messed with time before, but it hasn't really come up one way or another. Yeah. There's really been mm-hmm. no need for them to med- meddle with time in terms of going into the room. And Stephen might have inadvertently mm-hmm. wished himself back in time with his I want to be back with the gems thing. So the room's oh. mechanics might have interpreted that as I want to be back with the gems literally as I last left them. At the- mm good theory. I was also wondering about the mechanics of the room where it seems to feed on his his emotions and his desires, but like, does that mean that it could actually give him something like, say, the ending of the video game that he hadn't gotten to hear? Like, was that what he thought it was going yeah, to be, or I was it the real too. one? Does it have, like, access to the outer world, or it? Stephen just had general right. expectations, and it manifested i really wondered about that (laughs) and as pearl notes it can't really handle doing an an entire town and well it didn't literally made the town but couldn't really cope with the people and even the town itself started glitching out pretty quickly greg was more it didn't have it greg was more coherent at first which made me wonder if that's the room has a better impression of greg if he's actually visited it before or well he was he was its its former owner's lover, so it prob- it might be hard to do a better Greg at least for a while. <laughs> Maybe they hid in there to get some <laughs> privacy. <laughs> oh, that'd be interesting seeing Greg in that room. Mm. Oh yeah, I can I can imagine Pearl asking, "What are they going into that room for?" And Amethyst is like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I uh, wonder which one of them found out about the facts of life uh, human oh, style first. <laughs> Probably. Probably Amethyst. And then Earl freaked out about it. And then Garner would be like, what? Yeah. I've always known that. <laughs> whether, she, whether she had always known or not, she'd say she had. <laughs> she'd be like, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> uh. A lot of humans mm. seem to in, in, I thought there enjoy were... this activity. <laughs> I found a purple and white book that tells yeah, me otherwise. This. <laughs> Amethyst would probably be intrigued by anything that humans seem to enjoy. Yeah, I, uh, I think Amethyst has got enough of a grasp on humans and immaturity that she still probably giggles whenever anyone counts to 69. <laughs> I would not be surprised. And then, you know, everybody, Stephen in particular, would be like, what's so funny? <laughs> oh, yeah, the, and then no one would If Stephen develops anything approaching normal human rate, he's going to outmature Amethyst pretty soon too. So I liked when, you know, during the parts that were not cute at all, like, I liked how there were like a bunch of different video game glitchy type things going on, them glitching in different ways, like, you know, Lars and Sadie saying those robotic things at the same time or the like the fry bits being put down in the same spot over and over again was really cool it was yeah, very, very video gamey very familiar video game game glitch there and harking back to old things where they didn't animate walking they just slid the characters along and the water mm-hmm. that is just an edge yeah. that's a very old older style video game thing where the world just ends at an edge which you can't pass mm-hmm 
Yeah. It definitely felt like it sort of changed flavor when he fell through the floor and he met up with his dad. It felt much more real. So, you know, his dad is like, <laughs> friendship, uh, what did he say? Honesty values and no one got arrested. <laughs> yeah, you're making less sense than usual, dad. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> oh, Greg. The air guitar. Yeah, I, I don't know what it says about the room or Greg that it actually took a few goes to notice he was also just doing a thing. <laughs> right, right. That, yeah, I mean, Greg could be saying this random stuff to me and it's just dad advice. Yeah, I don't doubt that the real Greg has a few stock dad advice phrases he tries out and just hopes he gets the right one first time. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, the if every pork chop were perfect, we wouldn't have hot dogs one kind of fits. <laughs> yeah, I'm almost surprised you didn't go back to that again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm surprised they didn't use it as a stock phrase because it kind of was in, in the context. Oh. Hmm. But they could have even reused the earlier audio, which would have been sufficiently creepy. That would have been cool if every everything was patched together from old audio. Like, I mean, Connie's was where she said he was incredible and that was from from episode seven so it would have been cool if they had taken Lars and Sadie dialogue or Greg dialogue and patched it together like that oh. yeah the La- Lars and Sadie are creepy enough on their own and they're talking in yeah. total unison yeah which especially from those two even apart from the simulation thing suggests they're agreeing with each other which is just not a thing very often either uh-huh hmm might be another Stevenism because I think that he thinks that they get along a lot better than they actually do. <laughs> You're crazy about each other. Hmm. You know, I, I, I think I think in his his head they're closer to grown-ups, and grown-ups just sometimes come in pairs. Oh sure, yeah. He probably just figures they're a couple, and they they clearly spend all this time together. It's not at all that they have the same shift. They just must be in love. <laughs> So to be fair, simple. we have we have yeah. seen them hanging out outside of work now and again. So this is true. He may he may not be completely wrong, but right. yeah, I do I remember think. when I was when I was a, a very small child, and just every adult I knew was married to some other adult I knew. So I just assumed that's how people worked, because yeah. I had no experience telling me otherwise. Mm-hmm. They're just issued in pairs. <laughs> They just yeah, give as, you one. Yeah. yeah, as you grow older, you're issued with a spouse. Yeah. Uh, oh, one thing I also liked about the room was that Onion was about the same level of creepy as usual. <laughs> yeah. I, I even, even, note, even noted in my head, well, well, he's fine. He's the same as usual. Yeah. <laughs> Steven just puts the donut on him. Yeah, all, all that I can see with the... The real onion? Yeah. <laughs> In fact, if the simulations picked up anything from the real one, I wouldn't be surprised if the simulated one is, is still discontentedly standing there in the void, <laughs> blinking. Yep. Mm. People are going uh, huh? to think that in my head, this show is just about onion and some strange people around him. <laughs> it's the onion show featuring Steven Universe, occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> To be honest, I don't know that I would watch that show. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'd have, the, I'd have the Blu-ray li- library, and I'd have all the merch. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I think that I would have to at least at first, but 
I don't know about onion. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's blasphemous for me to say that I'm not really an onion fan, but um, I kind of like fan, the idea. Fan doesn't seem the right word for me. I'm just kind of fixed on him for he is this strange, pale, yellow, semi-formed child. <laughs> Named Onion. <laughs> Named Onion. I guess he's not unusual in that town, though, because there's lots of people named after food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. it's in fact, the only strangeness is that he's called onion cat. and he doesn't run an onion shop or something. Yeah. Yeah. How come he doesn't have an onion ring shop or something like that? Hmm. That'd be funny. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't want to stay in one place long enough to run a shop. <laughs> He'd have to find a way to steal from his own shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then he'd realize the profits are dropping, so he'd steal to make them up from mm. his own shop. And I don't know that he could eat his own product because that would be cannibalism. Onion eating onion. <laughs> are we really? Are we entirely putting cannibalism past onion, though? <laughs> I, I don't know oh. if he operates on our human levels of morality. All right, I'll have to give you that one. <laughs> oh, well, I guess speaking of cannibalism, Stephen trying to bite Garnet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, th there are ways you could have done that, Stephen, but okay. Yes, it's interesting because Garnet says ow and Pearl acts like she has been hurt. It's like, it made me wonder, like, well, we know their biology is very different from us. What, like, do they actually feel pain or is it something else is going on? <laughs> I'd say from what we've seen to date, they at least feel superficial sensations of pain even if they're not quite processing Just injuries in an the same organism way. that has the, the same relationship with its body that they do what use pain would be <laughs> so well, I don't know. we've seen from pearls that they can still take actual damage so mm -hmm. that would that would still be a useful indicator of pain i mean in pearl's case she could see the sword right through her so there's yeah. not much to go on but yeah. You know, if, for example, they've, they stepped on something that could, that could damage them, but they couldn't immediately see it, the pain would still make sense, act as a, a signaler. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if they sustain and process pain the same way we do, but I think in the immediate moment of getting hit or stabbed or bitten, mm -hmm. they feel it at least similarly to we do. They do act like it, at least sometimes. Mm -hmm. But then other times there's things like, you know, Amethyst swinging a bat around trying to hit a pinata and she hits Garnet right in the head and she's just like, higher? But that's also Garnet. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. It, she doesn't make for a good sample. Right. She's very stoic about all of that. <laughs> she gets flung into a building in Beach Party. When she gets flung into a building, she just lays there. <laughs> yeah. But Pearl is dramatic, so of course she would react that way. And simple of Amethyst just being plain old exuberant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she might even have just picked up the trait of saying ow and reacting like she's in pain, whether she is or not, just because yeah. that seems a great way to make noise and get attention. Yeah. This is like in the last episode. <laughs> Pearl, I got a boo-boo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll walk it off. <laughs> hmm. With this gem biology question, I practically already gave you one of these uh, probing questions, but I had another one if you want it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, do love my, I do love exploring gem biology, but let's, let's <laughs> hear what else you got. Well, I'm trying to remember if we've discussed this before. I feel like we have, but just like a quick guess from you. 
about what the other three gems might do if they had a room like Rose's room? Hmm. What would their fantasy room do? Well, I think Amethyst would pretty soon come to look like what her actual room does. <laughs> I thought the just same be- thing. <laughs> just because just disc- discarding and just putting crap, even if she it is crap she conjured through the room's holodeck, whatever, <laughs> and just leaving it around. She wouldn't even think, oh, I finished with that. I should blink it away. She would leave, leave it in a pile or just forget about it. <laughs> Garnets, I would imagine, as for the most part, very functional. Maybe with, a, maybe with an area that's unseen even by the other gems, because, which to me represents that, because I think her emotions actually run deep, but she rarely lets the deep ones get to the surface. Mm. It's, it's hard to tell what she would do with her free time, you know, if she had time off of, off of a mission. You know, what would she be doing if she just had some alone time to play around? And Pearls would be incredibly organized. I mean, we saw a bit of that of her <laughs> very sorted weapon collection, which must be just so in the right order. It would actually, I would imagine that if it weren't for her waterfall fixation, it would look very pristine and bare white. Mm. With, with, it, it would look good, but it wouldn't be anything out of place or chaotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Things to organize. The exact opposite of amethyst. Yeah. <laughs> For those people who have listening and have seen, I would imagine Pearl's looking a little bit like the weird therapy space in Black Lightning, which is this oh. white room with functional furniture yet sort of in this semi-cosmic broad white space. Okay. I can see that. <sighs> I guess this wasn't even that good of a question because they do all have their own rooms that presumably represent what they want. So they can't just make them look like however they want, but there's not a whole lot of difference because you, you assume that those are their spaces that they have control over. So if they've been at it for longer, they've probably been able to work out that having at least quasi stable yeah. is useful to them. Stevens is basically a pink mm-hmm. or black void mm. at the moment. Yes, so. And he probably only has something to stand on because he assumes he will. Could be. But the others had definite edges and borders, and this one is just, well, as I said, a void. Yeah. It's just nothing. So I don't know if that's that's how Rose preferred things or if it's just because it's effectively a blank slate and still Stephen gets a proper grip on things. Mm. In Rose's room, there's really nice music, (laughs) at least at first. Yeah, they... (laughs) <laughs> Definitely a bit more than the standard music here was, as mm-hmm. they show sign of a. It feels a bit nice and ethereal. Rose's room at first, then it yeah. comes on a bit more harsh and deadly once <laughs> we're into the the whole thing breaking down. Yeah, that was super creepy. Mm. They do really well with the atmospheric music in this. I like mm. that. And the video game had its own music. <laughs> yeah, very fitting. But no songs. No songs. No songs. Hmm. Hmm. What else? We, we, do you, must be, huh? we must be due. A, we must be due another song soon. <laughs> you think? How much longer? <laughs> uh, what number are we up to? We just had nineteen. I don't know. Twenty yeah. or twenty-five would be a nice, good number to have a song at. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we had a song in episode one. If you count the Cookie Cat rap, and we had Greg's song in episode two. 
And then we didn't really have another real song until episode 12. Hmm. We're due. We're due. Hmm? We're, definitely due. We're definitely due another song. Yeah. What was, what was our last one? I guess there, wasn't, there hasn't really been any other songs since, since Giant Woman. There was a little birthday song. <laughs> and other than that, yeah, it was all, it was all background stuff. Hmm. You're right. <laughs> hmm. Well, is there any more episode stuff we should talk about before we talk about food or merchandise stuff? <laughs> Nothing favorite. springs to mind. It, it, it left a lot open, open yes. for us. Another, another case of teasing us of learning more about Rose, but not actually telling us more about much more about Rose. I think one of the things I thought about was it was it was such a room of possibility that since we don't know anything about what Rose's motivation was and what she, what kind of person she was to want to use a room like that. Like it could have been anything from a creative playground to a war room. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh. Food. There's of course the creamed corn. <laughs> well, uh, and Stephen did ask for some pretty specific donuts at the fake <laughs> big donut. Yes. Um, I have excuses for not making donuts at this point because I figured they're just store-bought donuts. So anytime an, a donut was involved, I just got a donut. <laughs> well, also, the donuts didn't look like what he described either. That's true. Yeah. He didn't get to have what he asked for. I did, in fact, make some creamed corn. Got- <laughs> um, and and, and what, what actually is creamed corn other than corn? Well, there's not much else going on, but I will tell you. Um, <laughs> I mean, is it, li- is it literal cream? Mm, yes, there is also literal cream in it. There is quite a lot of corn. You also will add some flavorings like onion powder, and there's some butter and some flour, and a little bit of sweetener, sugar in there, like just a little bit. But you do put some cream and some milk, cream and milk. Oh, yeah. Makes sense, <laughs> yep. So there's certain quantities that you do for those, but uh, I, you know, I took, I took some butter in a saucepan and stirred in onion powder. And then I guess I just prepared the butter like that. And then I added in a bunch of corn and uh, I also made some mistakes because my butter cooked too fast. So actually my cream corn turned out kind of brownish. (laughs) I don't know, not, it wasn't that bad, but it was, it was not the color that you would expect it to be. So, but it was edible (laughs) and I did eat it. I didn't eat as much as Stephen did, and I didn't have the issues that he described. <laughs> but after cooking the corn together with the, the cooked butter, it's just adding milk and cream and sugar. And there is a process afterwards that you blend some of the corn and then you put it back in. So that's kind of cool. And I was a huge dork and I made like can art so it would look cute like Colonel ah, Colonel's creamed corn. <laughs> and I, I put them in there. It was a there. $5 coupon for mini golf. Yes, I even put a coupon on it, and I, I have a little note in the recipe that I wrote down that you can eat it straight out of the can with a spoon like an animal or like a Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I guess animals don't use spoons, so like a Stephen. Is that one of those things that people tend to sort of get their own recipe for? You know, I think the basics the are about the same anywhere you look, but people have a lot of strong opinions about how much cream how much the corn should be whipped and stuff, like how much whole corn versus how much corn mush, what the ratio should be. And, you know, of course, anybody who 
likes it and has had it in their family for a while will say that whatever they like is the one that is correct. Mm. Um, and there's things like that's great grandma's cream corn recipe handed down through generations? Yes. So my family does not have one of those. So I just had to be on my own to invent one. But that's okay. You know, it's, it's Miss Ivy's burned creamed corn. <laughs> We are handing it down for a legacy of podcast viewers and listeners now. <laughs> One day I'll have a cookbook. Mm. What have we got listeners and viewers who are trying the recipes as, as, as they go out each, each episode? <laughs> oh, wow. I once had somebody write to me and say that they tried my recipe and that it was good, but that they burned it a little. And I said, this recipe does not have any baking in it. I don't know how you burned it. <laughs> And they did not answer me. <laughs> and they're like, okay, they probably got a bit sheepish at that point. I just, I don't know if they were just pretending that they tried it or if they really did cook something that was not meant to be cooked. <laughs> hmm. It's a little creepy. Oh, I have some factoids that I didn't tell you about. Oh, let's go. I think I usually tell you who boarded it. I don't know if you noticed it's Jeff and Joe, Jeff Lou and Joe Johnston. And I always like them, although I'm not a huge fan of this episode because it creeps me out. But I wrote down in my little window over here what how they described this episode to, to people looking it up. And it says, uh, Stephen's desire for some alone time unlocks a new room in the temple that answers his every wish. I feel like that's too much. <laughs> hmm. Not wrong, but yeah, it does sort of take you past that first hook. Yeah. Yeah, I want to, I, I really like, the, I think my favorite part in the room, in the episode, favorite part in the room, favorite part in the episode is when it opens and you're like, oh, this mystery room, it's it's open. That's intriguing. You know, I didn't want to go into the episode knowing that it was going to open, except that the title implied it. <laughs> yeah, the, the title almost kind of gives away a major point, but I guess it's one of those, sometimes you've got to drop something up front to keep people interested. Mm-hmm. And definitely any mention of Rose at this point is, it's making us interested because we've been curious about her for a while. And that's why I always, you know, if I may digress a second here, I get a little frustrated when people say, oh, the good episodes are this one, this one, and this one, because you're not going to feel the buildup at all if you skip right to episode 35 and you're just like, what's the big deal? You don't feel how long people have been waiting for this, you know? <laughs> so, hmm. Um, yeah, it's no good jumping straight from nowhere to the mystery revealed if you don't know how you've been feeling that mystery for however many episodes. Yeah, and you might have developed some of your own thoughts on where it might go or your own theories or at least your own feelings about it or whether you're curious. So, I mean, on the one hand, I don't want to say you have to be tortured for a while before you can feel satisfied by not being tortured anymore. But, the, you know, that's how stories work. They you have to ride some of the buildup before you can even enjoy the payoff. Um, yeah, I once, I once for, I can't remember what show it was, but a friend of mine asks, asked me and another friend to make a sort of essential episodes list for, for a show because they wanted to do rapid catch up for a big event. Uh-huh. And the other friend and I sort of disagreed on what were the essential episodes because I'd included ones which built up to the Wham episode, whereas the other friend was just go, no, you don't need to build up, you just need this important thing. I was like, but you won't know why it's important. Right. I mean, this is the other thing. If you jump straight in on this, you have no idea why being teased with the notion of Rose's room is anything 
to us if you don't know who Rose is, what the rooms are, and mm-hmm. why Rose is not an easily accessed character because she is dead or physically evaporated or whatever. Yeah, and it's not as simple as just being told two sentences like, oh, Stephen's mom is no longer with us and she had a child with a human. Like, that's yeah. essentially what you need to know, but it doesn't cut it. It just doesn't. And you, you would probably not be surprised to hear that this show has a popular essential episodes order where people will say, oh, my friend is bored and all these season one episodes are making him think it's a crappy kids show that isn't really appropriate for adults, doesn't have anything for adults. And they're like, can, can I skip all the boring ones or the silly ones or the stupid ones and go right to the important ones? And, you know... Being a huge fan of this show and wanting to make a podcast and collecting all this merchandise, you know, I'm obviously (laughs) a biased person who thinks everything is important. But story-wise, as a writer, as a fan of stories, I can definitely say that this is one of those slow builds that really pays off. And even though you and me are only 19 episodes in, I'm sure you can tell that because you know stories as well. And you understand how that works. Um, yeah, and I know enough, even though I haven't seen it, I know enough that this series gets big in its own world later on. And I think you can't do that unless you sort of set down what you're going beyond. Right. You have to kind of, a lot of the early episodes do ground Stephen in both worlds and show how important the individual humans and his family and everything, his father, all these people are to him as, you know, as a person who feels that he is part of this town. You can't just speed by them and say, well, these are the plotty episodes without really understanding why it matters. And it just... A a comparison I've been making in my head, which might seem a bit out there at first, is of the Stargate TV series, of Stargate SG-1. Mm Mm-hmm because the first season of that is very much what they call Planet of the Week. They go through the Stargate to a new planet, have a little adventure there, come Mm -hmm. home, that sort of thing. Occasionally a bit of a variation, but that was basically it for season one. Mm -hmm. Things started to change in season two and beyond, and I maintain that you need season one of the Planet of the Week thing to establish that Planet of the Week is business as usual so you can show what is not business as usual when you want to really start taking off the storytelling later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that is very a very similar kind of vibe to what this show is doing. But I think also there are, like, say... Together breakfast. It's kind of a silly, you know, oh, his breakfast became a monster and they have to fight it. But it's also the first time you see inside the temple. And they're giving us that peak, not necessarily because this is like this huge lore drop or something. Sure, we want to see it, but it's zany. It's funny. It's got a lot of jokes. And then they fight a breakfast monster. So it it doesn't seem like an essential episode. But then when you go to episode 19 and he's going inside the temple for the first time, how is that going to have any impact if you don't if you don't know kind of what the other ones' rooms look like and what this temple is to them? And together, breakfast is a great example, not just because it's one of my favorite episodes <laughs> so far, but because it has a lot of passive world building without that big lore drop. Because mm. one of the things that Stephen is interrupting is Garnet trying to orb something away, the idea of, you know, 
texts that are in and of themselves deadly, as you say, seeing the rooms and the temple. I mean, up to this point, we could have thought they have rooms back there, but we might have thought they were just rooms. This was just an ordinary structure. Right. And it also shows you one of the kind of things they deal with is a creature that could take host in any kind of physical body, even that of a breakfast. Mm-hmm. So this might be a funny thing of, oh, we're being attacked by breakfast in episode four, <laughs> but down in episode 44, something like that might take a far more deadly and serious form. And right. that means it didn't come out of nowhere and it's escalated from what you saw back when something like that took control of the waffles and cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see this argument go back and forth and back and forth so people are just sick of each other all the time. I mean, I'm sick of the other side too, but they say they're sick of me saying that every episode is important because they're like, no, it isn't. You can just explain that one time they went to this this sea spire and destroyed it because Steven is dumb and he forgot this doll. You know, like it's, you can't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to isolate like one reason why something was an important episode and then really get that across to people and just like give them a Cliff's Notes version. It's just, it's not the same. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that worried about it. If somebody says, I'm just plain not going to watch the show. If I have to watch 25 episodes before it gets interesting and I'm just going to shrug and say, you know, you can make that decision. I don't care if you want to skip around. I recommend people don't. And I really think that once you get to these episodes where you realize a lot is going on, you're going to want to, you're going to want to go back and you're going to kick yourself. (laughs) Of course, another thing is that what with the sequel series out there, it's, it's kind of still running. So you might say, Oh, that episode is not important. Then it might become incredibly important in the next episode of the sequel series. And someone says, oh, this thing we haven't mentioned since early in season one has suddenly come back. And oh my goodness, it's serious. I sure hope you watch that one because I haven't got time to explain this. Yeah. Yeah. Something kind of like that in episode 37 and much, much further down the line. Let's see. That's, uh, oh gosh, what is it? Episode... Good Lord. It's past 100. There's a place where it comes, something, some little detail comes back really explicitly. And you're like, oh my God, really? Really? Did they plan that? And it kind of turns out they didn't, but they used it. <laughs> so. so imagine if when episode 90 was going out, you cast off the earlier episode mm-hmm. as unimportant, not realizing it's going to pop up in 100 or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, it's just, you know, if somebody has already decided they're not going to watch this show, if they can't get like a, a fast catch up, then, you know, that's fine. I'd rather they watch the show on, in, in some way. But I really strongly feel like the way that you should watch it is the way that it was built. Hmm. I, I, I mean, briefly, look, before we came to be doing this, but I was still thinking of getting into Steven Universe, part of me was going, maybe I should try the movie, which was then just out. But I thought, no, this obviously is, I don't know how general access it'll be, but it's obviously contextualized by having had four or five seasons before it. I'm really glad you did not do that. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't now. Yeah. Some people did do that. And I see people pop on from onto Reddit. They'll say, yeah, I watched this movie and you know, you can understand it. Actually, one of the people that was at my viewing party had never seen, had not seen the rest of the show. They had seen like three episodes or something all out of context. And 
then they saw this movie and they asked a couple of kind of funny questions during the movie, but mostly were just understanding basically what was going on. And, you know, when they ask a couple, when they asked these couple of funny questions, I was just like, wow, there's so much you don't know. And it's going to take me five minutes to explain the answer to that. But, you know, they enjoyed it. And then they you know, they told me a couple of other times when they're like, hey, I saw Steven Universe tonight. I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) But there were a lot of people who saw the movie, I guess, because movies are packaged that way. They're, they're made because they know some people will jump in to see just a movie. And then they go back to the beginning and they're like, wow, (laughs) I kind of wish that I didn't know all this stuff that was, that was just talked about as stuff we already know in the movie. And these things become group activities. Like if this is like a lot of the other Cartoon Network movies, it probably got at least a limited theatre release, which means if some people said, hey, we're all going to see the Steven Universe movie and some newbie says, oh, sure, I'll come just Mm. to hang out with my friends. And that Um, sort of thing happens. Yeah. I know because I have been that friend or Ah! um, have had that friend for various things. For for Steven Universe, they were really super limited about that. Like there were there were a few showings of the, of the movie in theaters, but they 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 made everybody surrender their phone and sign non disclosure agreements <laughs> mm. <laughs> because it's so intense on the internet right now. <laughs> like with Steven Universe, people are like they're just gonna ruin it for everyone and. People tried to. And then there were fake leaks too. So that made it easier to deal with it if you think you saw something that was a spoiler anyway. Yeah, I know it had at least one theatrical screening here, but I don't know if they went to all that um, yeah. trouble about blocking people. There's one of our local cinemas is actually pretty good on doing screenings of things like that. Mm-hmm. Like they've had cinema screenings of a lot of the, the DC straight to video mm-hmm movies they've done as cinema events and things now if and they're pretty popular after, so then it's fine they won't they don't care <laughs> if it came out after it showed on tv but if it was before it came out on tv then everybody was super hush hush about it <laughs> i i have no idea because at the time i was only at my i recognized what the show what show this is phase so i just right. saw oh i guess that steven universe show is doing a movie and yeah. i didn't even learn until much later that it was probably not just a normal theatrical movie as some shows do do yeah yeah it did have you know beginning middle end and not necessarily require you to know anything about what happened before to find the story satisfying but it's just so so much better if you know <laughs> mm. and it spoils a lot of stuff if you didn't so i'm really glad you didn't see it <laughs> So this was a digression into a movie that is 100 episodes plus in the future. <laughs> yeah. A digression into a movie I haven't watched. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I like talking about kind of the surrounding culture stuff because you know all about that stuff. Oh, yeah. So let's see. Here's, here's another, you know, continuing, I guess, with factoids. You have gone back to the together breakfast episode a few times so you might remember this but did you did you notice that when he was sliding down in together breakfast he did he actually slid through rose's room i didn't connect it but (laughs) now that you've said it you will now (laughs) putting the bits back together yeah he's sliding down the thing and then there's this little piece where he's like oh this isn't so bad and pink clouds and there's that music (laughs) and then he slides into garden says like oh never mind (laughs) So that they, they gave yeah, us a little I, peek at 
I hadn't, I hadn't connected. That was the same. That was the same place or the same kind of place. <gasps> yeah. And I thought it was a position of relative peace. That's but, just a fun little Easter egg, isn't it? <laughs> I love that one. Let's see. As you mentioned, Tiny Floating Whale had an interesting voice. It was voiced by Susan Egan, who has done, like, she was the lead lady and uh, she was Meg. Oh, right. I, I've seen the name around. Yeah, she's she's kind of a big cool. name. She's she's done a lot of a lot of characters, and it's just funny that like they they've talked about this, which I, without giving a lot of spoilers and stuff. Like I uh, remember Rebecca Sugar talking about how trippy it was to have Susan Egan read for the voice of Tiny Floating Whale. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> so this role is Tiny Floating Whale. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> and it says one line. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You can almost literally phone it in. Yeah. I, I wonder if she, I'm assuming she, some version of her voice did the little ooh noises that the whale does too. That would be fun. And there was a, the video game character, the, the, the golfer had a, had, a, had a voice actor named uh, Chris Jai Alex, I think. He does a bunch of background random voices. Actually, I, I don't think I ever checked to make sure that Chris's pronoun was he, but I thought I read that it was. So if it's not, I will figure it out later and mention it in the future. Anyway, but yeah, the I guess the golfer guy is named Ace. <laughs> so that's kind of funny and cute. <laughs> and the, his benefactor slash villain was Professor some golfing word. Oh, Sandtraps. Professor Sandtraps, that's it, yes. <laughs> that was cute. And Stephen was playing that on... Everybody says it looks just like a Nintendo 64, which I believe I do not have one. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, and of course, the god of Sink all is a Pokemon. All that Pokemon stuff. Let's see. Was there anything else? Something about the video game. Oh, yeah. They used their distance models. Have I mentioned this to you before about distance models, that they have simplified distance models for the characters that they use? when they're far away, oh, so yes. they'll have more less detail on their face and stuff like that. They used those for the creepy faces of, the, like, the video game. Ah. As is actually what a lot, uh, like, I guess it's either their distance models or some modified version of their distance models that made them look so weird. <laughs> so I, I think that's funny, and a lot of times they don't have noses, they don't have noses, and they have no separation of their fingers and stuff. Because <laughs> all details would be lost at a distance, so, you know, why bother? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen Steven's distance model where the star on his shirt is just a pentagon. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> Let's see. I think that's all I can remember of factoids for you, but I do have merchandise. Actually, I have a few things, but... Let's add some merchandise. This, I'm going to show you a pencil case I have, which has the tiny floating whale on it. Ah! Now, this is official merchandise, so I have to show you something official. But I want to show you this because it's cute. But it just has... Yeah, the... I'm already in love with the tiny floating whale, so that's cool. I want a plushie of it. And I know that some Etsy people make uh, tiny floating whales. I do not have one, but I had to have this. This is just some fan thing that I believe I got on like Redbubble or something. But it just has the illustration of the tiny floating whale with a spout doing its thing. It's I keep my markers Ooh. in there. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> See, sometimes I can do it and sometimes I can't. <laughs> What was my other I can't do it. My voice re-breaks if I try to go back that far. <laughs> I'm sure that we could take that and make it sound like a whale somehow. <laughs> but I decided for my, my 
official merch, I'm showing you my Jigsaw puzzle. I have a 500 oh. Jigsaw puzzle of Steven Universe. And um, I'm bringing this out because he was playing a game and this is the closest I have to a game. But my friend and I put this 500 piece a Jigsaw puzzle together one night. We were like, hey, oh, it's a puzzle. Let's do it. And then like three hours later, we're like, we're not good at puzzles. But it's just like one of these boilerplate art things where they have all four of the main gems just in their poses with their weapons, except for Steven. And we, we did put it together. It sat on my coffee table for like two and a half weeks before someone finally made me take it down so we could use them. <laughs> yeah, that's the trouble with jigsaw puzzles. Once you're done, it's like, I don't want to undo all the work I did, but it is just kind of sitting there. Yeah. So one of my friends took a couple pictures of me, sadly putting it back in the box. <laughs> oh. Yeah, actually, I guess we're going to get a triple feature here. There are video games, and I don't own a video game system, so I borrowed a game called Save the Light, but there was a mobile game called Attack the Light, which I have on my phone, but if it'll load, I'll show you the opening screen. It's got a little Steven playing video games kind of thing, Mm. and it's cute. And it's just a little mobile game where you flick and stuff to... To have the to have the attacks happen, but Stephen with his cheeseburger backpack is the one who has all the supplies. And I noticed the, the simplified designs on the yeah. on the game animation there. Yeah, but you can't play Attack the Light because it's spoilery for you still. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I noticed that this, the two titles reflect very different attitudes toward the light. Save the light and attack, attack the, the light. light. There's a third one that's come out too called Unleash the Light. Oh, the policy upon light is just not consistent. Yes. Yes, you can't quite tell what the light wants to do. But, oh boy, it's got this whole opening thing. So the light is a monster. <laughs> Little opening screen. Oh, These uh, light monsters are not in the show. I love simplified, super deformed Garnet with the whole cast. Yeah. It's just adorable. Yeah. I hope it's not going to show you anything spoilery in this opening. Or just kind of like with the sound off. Because if I turn the sound on, it's possible it would trigger a copyright problem. So, yeah. Pearl. Yeah, we're just seeing Stephen and, and the big three just chatting about something. And because yeah. the sound's off, I don't know what it is anyway. Yeah. I think it's probably about to load the opening, but it's got it's got a real yeah, it's, it's gone black, so it's thinking there about we something. Go. Attack the light. So it's very cute. And it's really neat because it's only a mobile game, but you start off in Stephen's house and walking around in there, and it's like, it's kind of cool. I remember that was true of Save the Light, so I wonder if I'm remembering the two things and contemplating them. But as a person who doesn't play video games, I still had a really fun time playing that game. <laughs> well, that's that's what it's for. It was a battery hog. I had to plug my phone in to play it to continue playing it. Yeah, I've, I've had those. Yeah. So you got a kind of got a three for one deal on this one because I had my unofficial merch yeah. and my official merch and then something that is not physical merch. <laughs> and people who aren't as spoiler protected to me, go play a, Attack the Light. Go play yeah. the Light game. Yeah, came out quite a few years ago, but Rebecca Sugar did help write it and she claims that it's basically, it can be taken as canon. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> oh, well, I'm done. <laughs> I'm I'm done too, Me to sign off from, to check out of Rose's room for now. <laughs> oh, please, please. And no nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Ivy and Daria on Not So Giant Women. 
You can find episodes of the show in video form by looking up Not So Giant Women on YouTube or in audio form at anchor.fm slash not so giant women or your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us on Facebook. Audio production by Daria. Video production and music by Ivy. Daria can also be heard on Podsploitation, the Ozploitation podcast. And Ivy at her Steven Universe fan blog at love-takes-work.tumblr.com. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and remains property of Cartoon Network. No infringement is intended.